the legal cannabis industry has unlocked generational wealth opportunities across the country. But the industry's regulatory complexities, constant state of change, and speed of evolution drive confusion for entrepreneurs and investors alike. On this podcast, we'll interview the industry leaders who are shaping the future of the legal cannabis industry to help our listeners understand these idiosyncrasies. This is Cannabis Unlocked, hosted by Key Investment Partners. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Cannabis Unlocked. Today, I'll be your host, Jordan Euclid, with Key Investment Partners, and I'm very excited to be interviewing Scott Jordan of Alternative Finance Network today. Scott, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me, Jordan. I, I love your first name. <laughs> Absolutely. I love your last name. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, Great. So really excited to be chatting today about what you're doing at Alternative Finance Network and you know, how you've been really helping to support uh, cannabis businesses get the debt financing that they need since early days in the cannabis industry. Um, and to kick things off, we'd love to just hear a little bit more about your background, you know, what you were doing um, in your career prior to getting involved in the cannabis industry. Sure. So um, I started out uh, kind of in the finance world as a mortgage broker back in 2003. And then in 2005, I was working with a guy that um, had suggested that I might take a look at commercial lending. And I had no experience and he said, look, you're a go-getter. You, uh, you, know, you find people, you can talk to people. Um, I'll, uh, I'll do all the back-end uh, underwriting and uh, I'll teach you how to do the business. You find the customers and we'll be a good combination. I said, great, let's do it. I'm always up for a challenge and for learning something new. So I went ahead and, uh, and worked with him and got my feet wet. I found commercial was very interesting compared to residential, which is uh, you know more cut and dried. And so uh, I started doing some loans and then we ran into, uh, you know, of course, the mortgage crisis that kind of uh, dampened things a bit. And uh, in 2009, I did my first cannabis loan to the dispensary I was a patient at. And uh, it was very difficult back then because the banking was whack-a-mole banking. I mean, it'd be up one day, down the next, and uh, just, it was very, very difficult. And, uh, and so I did a few more loans, but in 2013, I took a job with a leasing company uh, and my phone started ringing off the hook with people wanting to fund their businesses. And back then there was literally no funding other than Mo and Joe, um, you know, with duffel bags of money and a few cash advance companies. And so uh, I went into my bosses and I said, Hey, I think we ought to get into this. And uh, they literally laughed me out of the room and humiliated me saying I was crazy. This business wasn't going to survive. Did I want to go to jail? I didn't look good in orange, <laughs> these things. And so I took umbrage with that and I said, you know what? I think I'm going to try to prove them wrong here. So I went to a lender of mine that did alternative assets and alternative lending, uh, gentlemen's clubs, laundromats, things like that. And I asked him, would he consider doing a cannabis loan? And he said uh, he wanted to do some research. And he said, yeah, as long as it's non-plant touching. So that kind of started things off in uh and I had, you know, a real lender with real money that was somewhat reasonable that uh, wanted to do, uh, you know, lending. And uh, uh, back then, there wasn't that many companies that were um, non-plant touching back in 2014 that had decent financials. But 
I was fortunate in that I did some research and uh, I, um, I managed to uh, convince uh, the kind of industry uh, leader at the time, uh, Weed Maps, to take a look at doing some debt and uh, did my first debt deal uh, with them and kind of progressed from there. Mm. Wow, that's fantastic. That's uh, pretty cool to see how far, you know, both you and, and Weed Maps have gone, obviously, now with Weed Maps. Oh, yeah. Very successful exit. And that's one of the things that I try to help my customers with is setting things up with the end in mind because- right. Um, you know, equity, once you give it up, it's like your virginity. You can't get it back. Okay. <laughs> you can't unring the bell and you can't become a virgin. And so what I try to do is I try to keep that in mind where, um, you know, in that case, it was really, really uh, interesting because they were going to take uh, $2 million for 10% of the company at the time. Mm. And you know, they sold out to that SPAC at a billion and a half. So the, the difference was $150 million wow. to, you know, maybe four or $500,000 in interest that they paid me, which was tax deductible, you know, at the time. So right. it really makes a difference. It's one point that, you know, I would make with entrepreneurs that might be watching this. Remember, you know, you can't get your equity back. Better to pay a higher rate than you think you ought to pay for debt than to give up your equity, particularly in the early stages of the business, particularly if you're going to hit your projections um, that you are, you know, using to, you know, rely on getting the money. Right. No, that makes total sense. It's uh, it's an important, you know, trade-off that that folks need to think about, you know, especially as you mentioned in the earlier days of the life cycle of the business when valuations are lower and you know each percentage point of equity is significantly more meaningful. Um, so anyway, uh, with, you know, with that in mind, you, know, you kind of talked about the early days of you financing deals in the cannabis industry, but then how did that evolve and lead to you breaking off to form Alternative Finance Network? So um, during those early days, I was going and speaking at shows and meeting people and putting together a network kind of one by one of lenders that would offer the ability to help level up the playing field for marijuana business owners. I felt like it was terribly unfair the way that cannabis business owners were being treated by everyone. I mean, it was like a pariah. You couldn't, uh, there was only a few places that would let you in, in terms of having events at night. We were actually just talking about uh, that the other day, that we couldn't get in every place. You were paying much more in taxes because of the 280E. You were much more prone to audit, you know, which is a tremendous expense and a tremendous distraction from the business, not only are you paying lawyers, but you're focusing in on gathering paperwork rather than growing the business. And I really felt like marijuana business owners were being treated like black people were in the 40s and the 50s. And I wanted to do something to help equalize that uh, in the small way that I could. So my goal was to get capital sources into the industry to be able to provide um, the various food groups of, you know, equipment, working capital, real estate. Uh, back then, people were not doing sale leasebacks, uh, and that's become much more popular. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be able to also provide what I thought was a better solution for marijuana business owners to come to one source, fill out one application, and be able to get equipment for their grow, be able to refinance their hard money loan uh, for real estate, 
be able to get working capital, be able to get a revolving line of credit. I mean, revolving lines of credit are the lifeblood of every business out there, with the exception of marijuana businesses, because they're very rarely available. Um, we happen to have completed one um, at the end of July, and that was one of the first ones, and certainly the first one that I know that was in the single digit rates. And every business needs that because cash flow is not steady. Cash flow goes up, cash flow goes down, but the bills stay steady. And then marijuana business owners have the extra burden of always having some regulatory agency that wants some amount of money from them that they didn't plan for and budget for. And so it's very difficult um, you know, for them. So the goal has been to level up the playing field, provide um, uh, uh, services, banking services. Uh, I was one of the early proponents and helped uh, Sunday Seafried over at Safe Harbor put together that initial program that was really groundbreaking in the, uh, in the industry at the time back in 2015 and um, be able to provide normalized banking services for cannabis businesses. And so uh, the model that we've set up is to bring in uh, vetted lenders that can lend to that are comfortable crossing over the green line, as I like to say, and being able to provide, uh, you know, valuable cannabis um, funding for them not to have to give up equity and not have to, you know, sell off um, parts and pieces, you know, of their company to get normal capex type of spending and normal capex type of of, uh, of items in the business. Great, great. That's that's really interesting, Scott. And so. I'd be curious to hear, you know, over the last called eight years or so since you started lending to cannabis businesses, you know, how have you seen the industry and the capital markets landscape evolve? You know, do you see more competition for the type of loans that you're that you're offering, or you know, how, how have you viewed that landscape as evolving? Oh, it's a tremendous amount more competition. It's uh, you know, when you go to shows, and I'm looking forward to uh, you know the uh, Benzinga show coming up and MJ BizCon, you're seeing many more suits many more Wall Street private equity guys. I mean, guys like, um, you know, you and, and key investments that have been there, done that in other industries, see the opportunity for, um, you know, marijuana that's uh, growing have, uh, you know, I think the stigma has lessened for, you know, uh, professionals to cross over the green line and come into the industry and a lot more competition because there's a lot of people competing and want that yield. And, and so I would say, you know, three or four years ago, there was one or two, maybe three debt providers out there. I would say there's multiple debt providers. And, you know, when you Google, you'll see the list of, of debt providers, you know, out there. The banks have still not um, stuck up their hand in most cases and said, hey, we're lending. You really have to know someone to kind of get an invitation or be banking within that uh, bank, as well as know who the cannabis, you know, people are within that bank. And that's part of the value that we have is that you know, the banks are coming to us, knowing our reputation, knowing that we're able to bring uh, good deals that are vetted and um, in the format that they want. And we kind of get them in the door. It's like kind of being invited backstage into the club right now, where you need an invitation in order to get there. You can't just uh, buy your way in, um, you know, just, uh, you know, Google and ask. I mean, one of the larger banks in the industry, I happen to know a guy that just went over to work for them. 
And I thought, you know what? I'm going to go ahead. I brought on a, a young uh, uh, marketing associate. You know, one of the things we do is when we hear that banks are in the industry, we call in. And we literally called into five different numbers. And I had connections on LinkedIn with, um, you know, three of the senior vice presidents. And I couldn't get past the front door. And that was on Monday. And today is, uh, what, Wednesday. Still haven't gotten a call back. No, it was last Thursday, actually, that we started. It's very difficult. So you need to have the right entrance in there. And it's become a lot more competitive. And as a result, rates have really trended down. You know, rarely that I hear single digit rates, but, you know, we're seeing, you know, GTI and TrueLeave and a lot of the big public companies are able to now raise debt, you know, in the nine and a half, 10% range, uh, 7% the other day I heard. Now they are giving up warrants and they are taking OIB discounts. So, you know, the effective rate is higher, but um, you're really seeing, you know, an aggressive trend, you know, downward. And I think it's, it's partially because it's more competitive, partially because uh, banks and other institutions don't feel the regulatory uh, pressure, and partially because everyone thinks that safe banking is going to pass here pretty soon. And so then, you know, all bets will be off in terms of, um, presumably, if it passes as it is, as we know, bills rarely pass Congress without some kind of, you know, adjustments and tweaks for the special interest group. But it's certainly looking, you know, uh, like it has a, a lot brighter future um, here, probably towards the end of the year, if not maybe first quarter of next year. Got it. And how would you expect that, you know, passage of the Safe Banking Act to impact borrower rates going forward, right? Do you think that there would be significant further margin contraction? And, and is there kind of a floor that you think that will exist in cannabis longer term? I think that we will see some a contraction, and um, but rates are pretty low right now. I mean, I've got a 475 lender. I've got a 575 wow. bank. So, I mean, you know, that's just a little bit above if you were a non-cannabis business. What I expect to see is... Uh, probably more in the equipment and working capital, you know, types of, uh, of lines. Uh, and remember, banks are very conservative. 85% of the commercial and industrial CNI type of loans are done through SBA with, a, or with an SBA guarantee. Without that SBA guarantee, and I don't see them participating here in the near term, uh, those loans are not going to get approved. So uh, it's only going to be the top 15 to 20 public companies that are even partially bankable. If you look at the chart that Viridian just put out, only five of the top 10 show a net profit. The other companies are showing EBITDA positive, but banks don't lend on EBITDA positive, and they want to make sure that you're able to make a profit. And since, you know, almost all of the plant touching companies are, are domiciled up in um, Canada, they have a different um, you know, accounting set. They have IFRS. And so with the large derivative liabilities that they incur when their stock price rises, they're always showing losses. And so it'll be interesting uh, to see um, how banks kind of sort that out. And I don't expect that there'll be a huge amount of lending. What I am hoping is, is that uh, Visa and MasterCard 
will allow um, their systems to be used so that um, you know customers can pay with uh, credit cards as opposed to having to use debit cards currently. Absolutely. And how likely do you think that is in the near term? Do you think safe banking is enough to get Visa MasterCard comfortable? Hang on, let me go get my crystal ball here. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Uh, I think that we'll see some version of that within uh, six to 12 months. Hmm. I don't think it'll pass as it is, but I think that there'll be some provision for that. What will be interesting is to see what happens with the economy once things kind of more normalize and, you know, assuming we don't go into round two of COVID, uh, assuming we come out of this and, you know, next year uh, masks will be, uh, you know, an antique item rather than one, something that you have to carry around with you. Uh, and, and uh, you know, we'll just have to see kind of, um, you know, how that turns out. And I think that, um, you know, we will see some progress. I think that as more and more states pass and as more and more of the government officials flip from being anti-marijuana, like, uh, you know, John Boehner was to all of a sudden embracing marijuana and, uh, you know, uh, increasing jobs and balancing out uh, state budgets will become, you know, more and more important. I think that, um, you know, it's amazing how uh, money will make people's minds flip uh, positions uh, <laughs> so readily. We will, uh, you know, we will see kind of, you know, how that goes. But I think it's progress and it's a beautiful thing to see compared to when I first got into the business when, you know, you couldn't tell people what you were doing and you had to put it under another, you know, innocuous company name and there was no, no real lending that was getting done other than in the high teens. Yep. Yep. No, that's, that's really interesting. So um, talk us through your process for uh, originating new loans from, you know, the initial process of how do you source the deal and then how do you go about finding the right uh, bank or financing source to place that loan with? Sure. So, uh, you know, we first have a conversation with a borrower. We understand what their need is. Today, we look at, you know, what they think they're going to need six months to 12 months out. Uh, we look for pro formas, um, you know, for both their um, income statement and balance sheet. Uh, we try to assess, you know, kind of where they are and who they're banking with currently. And we take a look at the data that we can take a look at. Once we take a look at the, the, at the data and analyze the, the P&L and the balance sheet uh, and the cash flow, we then um, you know, come back to them and speak to them about what their need is. And we try to assess how realistic their expectation is compared to the reality. You know, you're not going to get a working capital loan for $10 million with, without a PG and you've been operating uh, a year. Personal guarantee is what a PG is. Uh, and so once we kind of have an idea of, okay, you know, you've got realistic expectations. Yes, we think we'll be able to find something, you know, in that rate range. We then engage them uh, with a fee agreement and uh, we are fiduciary to them. We, um, we are loyal to them. We represent them to the various banks and credit unions that, you know, and private lenders that we work with. Uh, we then gather the rest of the documents. We put together an executive summary. Uh, we run that executive summary by them, uh, making sure that it's, you know, we're telling the story in their voice. 
And then what we do is we take it one by one to our lenders. Uh, we anonymize the executive summary and we say, you know, here's the situation, three-year-old company, you know, doing 25 million, you know, top line, EBITDA positive to the tune of, you know, 6 million. They're looking for a $4 million, you know, revolving line of credit and a $2 million equipment loan. Does this look like something you'd like to see the rest of the data? So one of the advantages that we have is that we understand, because uh, we come from, uh, you know, banking and lender perspective, how to set up a file so that it's most likely to be uh, perceived positively. We don't just throw an email together with 10 files. We put together an executive summary. So we make the banker's job easy. Our, our goal is to um, make uh, the banker's job or the lender's job as easy as possible. So our deals rise to the top of the stack because they, the good lenders and the inexpensive lenders have multiple files that they're working on. And again, even if you know who they are, it's not easy to A, find them and B, get in the front door and then C, be able to get to the top of the stack so that you're, it's not a three or four week wait to get there. So we, you know, we kind of are an intermediary in that sense. We then, um, you know, follow up with them to make sure that they have what they need to get us a decision. And then we um, uh, ask, you know, for a decision the decision is yes. We get a uh, indication of interest terms back. We then run those by our uh, borrower and say, here's what you know, lender A is offering. Is this good enough or do you want us to go to lender B or lender C? You know, many times speed is uh, one of the more important factors to be able to get the money because there's an opportunity that they have or they want to start the build out in the uh, expansion of their grow or uh, you know, what their grow is. And a lot of times we're able to um, exceed their expectation of you know, they were expecting to pay 13 or 14. We come in at 11, they're thrilled. They say, great, let's go forward, boom. We then get them a, a term sheet and then an agreement. They sign that and away they go into due diligence land. And then we monitor the transaction all the way through to make sure that there's no stuck points Mm -hmm. haven't gotten hung up with the difference between negligence and gross negligence, which sometimes happens and, uh, and everything is, is moving forward and they get the money and, uh, and then we move on to, you know, our next deal. But it's a, it's a, we've been doing it for so long. Um, you know, I've been doing it now 12 years that process is, you know, fairly smooth. We'll sometimes run into, um, you know, some hiccups, but the beauty of my model is unlike going to a direct lender is if we do run into a hiccup, we've got a backup for them and we've got another lender that can step in and provide the funding. That actually happened uh, to me on, on one of the early deals we did. We had a lender lined up. Um, it was a great rate. When it came down to you know, a week and a half before closing, they ran into a hiccup with their you know, investor and couldn't close. And this guy had a hard, hard deadline on October 1st. October 2nd wasn't going to work. It had to be before October 1st. So I was able to uh, reach out to um, one of my lenders that I know uh, can get stuff done very quickly. He came down, looked at the property, said, yep, we'll do it. The rate was two points higher, but um, the, the borrower said, I don't care you know, that it's two points higher. It's nominal in the 
situation, let's just go get this done and let's go, you know, go to closing. So speed and certainty is very important. And we provide both, I believe, we'll, uh, we'll get it done quickly, but for sure we will close when we say we're going to close barring COVID or something, you know, way outside of our control. And so with regards to the folks who are, you know, actually then um, uh, lending the capital, you know, what do those, what does the makeup of those financial institutions look like? Is it mostly uh, banks, credit unions, life insurance companies, and kind of how has that landscape evolved over time? Sure. Um, it's a combination. We have over 112 lenders in the network. We try to utilize the banks and credit unions and life insurance companies for real estate loans first. Mm. We've a couple that will do... Um, Actually, we got a term sheet back uh, for a revolving line of credit for, um, for a uh, MSO that was at uh, prime plus two and a half, so five and three quarters um, with some other caveats they wanted in the deposits, but that's a very, very attractive rate um, and the first of many that we expect to see from, from this bank. And the banks are evolving. And they're, you know, a moving uh, target in terms of opening things up. What we found is, is that um, they say that they're doing, you know, real estate. They want, you know, loans between this amount and this amount. But if we propose a good deal to them, you know, if one of the top MSOs comes to us and, and says, hey, we want to finance this land, um, you know, things can change and things will evolve. Um, most people though don't qualify for that because they're looking for you know positive EBITDA at least 12 to 18 months. Uh, and so we take them to private lenders and we know who is flexible and who can get the job done at the lowest rates. And generally it's a combination of speed and low rates is what a borrower wants. They want, I mean, they want to close tomorrow, you know, at six and a half, <laughs> you know, it may be, hey, it's going to take us 45 to 60 days to get you the six and a half. We can close in 20 days, you know, at nine, uh -huh. what would you rather do? Uh -huh. and sure. The beauty of my model is I think when we do our best job, it's, it, it's a hard decision that they have to make speed versus rate uh, and flexibility. And so um, that's what we try to do is tee up multiple choices, making it easy uh, for the borrower to get capital that is non-dilute. Got it. No, that's really helpful. And so as you think about your target borrower, I know you mentioned EBITDA positive as, as a desired characteristic, obviously. I'm just curious, you know, are there specific metrics that you're looking for for borrowers who are approaching you? You know, will you work with folks who aren't yet EBITDA positive? You know, what are, what are some of the things you're looking for? Sure. Well, the, you know, the first thing and, the, and the, you know, the the areas that we see the most challenges in that if you're a borrower, you know, this is the area that I'd be listening and taking notes in. We want to see in a clean, we want to see a clean balance sheet, something that balances, not something that shows me, like, for instance, we saw a deal um, earlier this year where a guy had $45 million in goodwill on his balance sheet. And I asked my analyst, I said, uh, I haven't seen them buy anything. They're only yeah. about two million a month in revenue. Can you explain this to me? How do you have this? So it turned out the lawyer for them was explaining why they put in a very small amount of cash to buy 
this, how the company was now valued at $50 million. And so, you know, my analyst who has a you know, degree in accounting and used to work for Arthur Anderson, uh, that's not how it works, okay? <laughs> so, you know, we look for a clean balance sheet. We look for bank statements that, uh, you know, make sense. We want, you know, particularly in California, what we find is, is that people are still dealing in a lot of cash out there. And yeah. even if they have a bank account, they're making minimal deposits yeah. into that bank account. We want to see if you're saying you're doing $5 million a month, we want to see $5 million a month in deposits into the bank account, yeah, yeah. $500,000 and an explanation on you know, where the other $4.5 million is going to because it's just not going to work. Um, you know, certainly you can't walk into a bank and get a loan that way. And most private you know, investors, particularly the low-cost ones, uh, are seeing more deals than they can uh, fund easily and quickly. And so they're immediately rejecting those deals. And we don't even send those deals on because we know that they're not going to get any place. So show me uh, that you're depositing all of your money. Show me a good reason for the uh, need for cash. We had a guy come to us very recently, said um, he needed $2 million because he uh he had a tax lien uh, problem and he was using Uncle Sam to finance the growth. And I said, you know, um, we need to come up with another reason for that because paying off your tax lien is not something, you know, a borrower wants to do. So we have to counsel people also in applying for something that makes sense. Don't tell me, you know, you need half a million dollars, 250,000 is to, you know, buy your wife, um, you know, uh, presents and 250000 is to go on vacation because you haven't been on vacation in seven years, you know, have it be for growth of the business because that's what lenders want to see. They want to see that their money is going to be repaid. And um, one of the recent additions that we've made that I think will be very positive for the last quarter of the year is we brought on a company that um, can audit and help with marketing and help bring um, uh, their seven years of experience in the cannabis business into help market and increase sales because the best determinant of being able to repay a loan is to have a healthy sales pipeline and be able to make or exceed your pro forma numbers. And uh, we believe with the experience that they've had and uh, it's a relationship that I've had with someone for seven years that we will be able to positively impact the sales growth, which I think will be a huge benefit for everyone, the lender, the borrower wins, everybody wins, you know, when we can use um, somebody to uh, put together a marketing plan and be able to execute on the sales because sure. no matter how great a marijuana that you grow, because we've met a lot of people that claim to be the best, they grow the best marijuana out there. It's not just growing good marijuana. It's also marketing, packaging, staying in compliance and doing the other things in the business to be able to ring that cash register up, you know, daily or, you know, weekly with sales. So uh, that's what we do. And then we monitor afterwards, um, you know, how are things going? What's going on? Is the, uh, is the amount that you asked for right? Are you looking for you know, more money? You know, what are the needs you have? Because 
marijuana, you know, uh, business owners are on usually a huge, you know, hockey stick growth path. And so they find that, you know, what they needed in April, they need more in August, and then they need more in January than they thought because things changed or, uh, you know, other circumstances came up. Yep. Yep. No, that makes sense. Well, Scott, thank you so much uh, for your time this afternoon. It's been a really fascinating conversation. Um, you know, as we, uh, as we wrap things up, we'd love to know if there are potential borrowers or lenders on the line, you know, are, is there a great way for them to reach out to you and see if uh, they can. Sure. Well, thank you for asking that because uh, we've recently started uh, to lend to lenders. So if you're a lender out there and you're looking for funding, we can get a revolving line of credit or some sort of credit facility or finance, uh, you know, assets for you, please reach out to me. Borrowers that are looking for, you know, million dollars or more, at least a half a million dollars now and have some growth path, probably the best way is to go to my website, which is just uh, alternativefinancenetwork.com um, or look me up on LinkedIn, Scott Jordan, um, and uh, would love to help uh, you know entrepreneurs grow. I will be at uh, the Benzinga conference as well as the MJ Biz conference. Looking forward going back out to uh, both of those and getting back on the trade show circuit. And uh, I really appreciate you having me on, um, you know, on your, on your show here, Jordan, uh, you guys have done a tremendous job and a tremendous service. You know, I found you in doing a, uh, a podcast where you had uh, three of the direct lenders on and uh, I learned some things there. It was fascinating uh, to be able to, um, uh, you know, see that and, uh, Keep up the good work. It's really needed. And, uh, you know, uh, look forward to meeting you in person one of these days. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Scott. Really appreciate those kind words and uh, had a great time with the interview this afternoon. So thank you. Your, uh, evening. Thank you. All right. Take care. Take Bye. care.